Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. You know, it feels uh, ironic uh, to me being a guy who has struggled most of his life with depression to be up here talking about joy. Uh, it's it's funny, I feel like, uh, just for whatever reason in this past season, I feel like I've it's been a pretty, I don't know, I'm pretty forthright with the fact that I've struggled with depression and most of my life, and so uh, the fact that this week is joy brings up uh, a lot of things. Uh, it feels ironic, but you know what? God's in the business of irony. Beauty from ashes, life from death, hope from a cross. I mean, the symbol of horrendous capital punishment, this vile, evil symbol that now we adorn ourselves with as a symbol of beauty and hope. And I actually think that for me, my struggle with depression and mental health has actually helped me to experience joy and appreciate it a whole lot more. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do just a little bit of a study on joy in the Bible. And so I wanna do something that I did uh, last week. And if you were here with us last week, uh, to kind of open up uh, the message, what I did is instead of just taking you kind of where I ended up, I wanna kind of show you how I got there. And so that's kind of what we're gonna do today. So our church is reading through the Bible in two years, and we are, the reading plan is both in the Gospel of Luke and in the prophet Isaiah. And so we're gonna start out today reading in the Gospel of Luke, chapter four, verses 16 through 21. It'll be on the screen, and it says this. When he came to the village of Nazareth, that's Jesus, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. If you're familiar with the story, uh, eventually the people get really upset and try to run Jesus off of a cliff. And there's a lot that we could unpack here. Uh, We could unpack this idea of the good news to the poor, both poor in spirit and also physically poor. We could unpack the captives being released, both Jesus' heart for uh, ending things like human trafficking, but also setting us free from the sin that holds us, holds us captive. We could talk about being, those of us who are spiritually blind, being able to see, see Jesus clearly. There's a lot that we could talk about. Uh, but what, what I want to kind of dive into there, uh, when you read a passage in the Bible, uh, Sometimes you're not told when it's quoting something else, but here we were very clearly told he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. So what I want to do is I want us to read a couple verses from the prophet Isaiah together. From Isaiah 61. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then verse 7. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Then we see a different phrase here. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it a day of anger, of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn, in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. And I want to pause there. We just sang that song to all who mourn, um, to all who wonder. All this kind of stuff is kind of coming from here and maybe some other places as well. 
And then it says, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair in their righteousness. They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And then jump down to verse seven. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double, portion, double share of honor. You'll possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. So once again, there is a ton that could be unpacked in there. Uh, but today we are focusing in on the of joy. And so for me, whenever I'm looking in the Bible about what it says about a particular topic, uh, there's a number of ways that you can go about it. Uh, one is looking in the Bible where it particularly talks about that. So if I'm looking about what does it say in joy, I can just look. What does the Bible say about joy? Google search. Uh, luckily for me, I have a little bit more uh, advanced software than that. And so uh, what I do is I have a software that I got in seminary called Accordance, which basically allows me to go through and search through the entirety of the scriptures to see when a particular word is referenced. Because when we come to a concept like joy, or any word that we're thinking about in scripture, we come to it, the scriptures, with an already preconceived idea of what joy is. Right? If we're talking about happiness, if we're talking about joy, if we're talking about love, when I read this, I'm not just reading what it says, I'm reading my perception onto this and what it says. And so it's important to kind of take a back step and see what that is. Uh, and you also can do studies looking at socioculturally what a particular word meant. Uh, but I think the best place to start is seeing what do the scriptures actually say about it. Uh, and what does this particular book say, say about it? And so what we're going to do today is we're basically going to do a summary of what the scriptures teach on joy. Uh, so if some of this like uh, reading from the scriptures feels like drinking from a fire hose, my hope uh, is I think it's in the prophet Isaiah that talks about when God's word goes out, it doesn't return void. And so my prayer is that God does something uh, within us as we, we read through these together. So here's kind of the undergirding conviction that I have uh, starting this topic of talking about joy. Many Christians have subconsciously traded the Jesus of the Bible for an Americanized Jesus. We have sold out the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth with the American gospel. Uh, what I mean by that is that if I follow Jesus, then I will be always happy, healthy, everything will go great. And, and certainly, Jesus does talk about things like in him, there is a fullness of life, abundant life, a rich and satisfying life, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. But also, Jesus promised, in this world, you will have troubles. Also told to pick up your cross, and I know we wear it as like a pretty symbol now, but picking up your cross wasn't a particularly enjoyable thing to be able to do. So kind of a brief overview of joy in the Bible. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the concept of delight in regards to the Sabbath. And this is from Practicing the Way, one of the networks that we're a part of. Joy in the Bible is both a noun and it's a verb. And so the verb would be to joy or to rejoice. So first, joy is a feeling, uh, like happiness. When you hang out with a friend and you're laughing and things are going really great and you feel joy within you. Uh, and I uh, celebrated uh, five years of marriage this, uh, this week. And when I think about joy, I can't help but think of our wedding day. Um, some of people here, I think, were, were, were there. And if you were, you knew that I was bawling my eyes out uh, as Anna walked down the aisle. Uh, because there was something that was so sacred that was happening. I mean, there were a number of people in the sanctuary. But for whatever reason, in that time, it was like tunnel vision. And all I could see... Um, was her. That was a moment for me where like this joy feeling kind of was like pulled back the curtains and I was able to experience it fully. Am I constantly crying in our marriage and overwhelmed with illness? 
No, I'm not. Am I regularly very thankful? Yes, for sure. Uh, but there was something particular about that transcendent sort of joy in that moment. And maybe for you in your life, you can point to different moments where joy sort of happened to you, uh, where something occurred and it just made you feel this elation within you. So joy is a feeling. It also is a condition. It's the type of person that you become as a result of following Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy peace, and so on, that it is possible, according to the scriptures and from what I've seen, to be someone who is walking through immense pain and suffering and yet also be a person of joy. Those things can be together. Third is a discipline. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says that the discipline of celebration is the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life. This is why it's a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is a result of consciously chosen way of thinking and living. So joy kind of has a couple of different layers. There's one that kind of just happens to you that we experience joy. It's something happy, something really good. It's also the type of person that we become as a result of following Jesus. And then it's also a decision, an act, a discipline of joying or rejoicing. So a couple things first about this idea of joy is a feeling. Uh, For those of you that know me, I am, I mean, maybe it's obvious for me saying I've struggled with depression. I'm a feeler. That's just kind of how I have been oriented most of my life, and it's taken a little while to come to terms with that and be okay with it. So first thing with joy, not all happiness or joy is from God. Feeling happy or feeling good doesn't mean that you are obeying God or doing what is right. Absolutely, there is joy in his presence, a deeper sort of joy. But I want to read a couple passages. Ezekiel 36, verse 5. This is in the English Standard Version. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession, and note this, with wholehearted joy and utter contempt that they might make its pasture lands a prey. They found a joy or a happiness in doing evil. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 21, New Living Translation. Foolishness brings joy to those with no sense. A sensible person stays on the right path. Uh, In other words, we cannot assume uh, just because something makes somebody feel joyful that it is necessarily from God. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah talks about how the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it or who can tell it. On the flip side, though, uh, we are told in the Psalms to delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, that does not mean that God's going to give you the thing that you want, but rather as you delight in him, he's going to cause you to desire new things. That there is a deep, truer sense of joy that can be found in in his presence. With that, uh, when we feel joy, that can and does coexist with other things. Uh, I think we often like to operate in uh, binaries. And what I mean by that is, how was your day? It was good or it was bad. How are you? I'm happy or I'm sad. But at least for me, uh, sometimes I can be both very sad and then also interject that with some serious laughter for a minute and then I'm crying again and then I'm angry. And then sometimes all those things are all together. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2 says it like this. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. 
Do you hear that? Troubles, poverty, also joy and generosity. Poverty and generosity might not be two things that you put together, but in the walk with Jesus, those things can and do coexist. Matthew 28, verse 8, after Jesus resurrects from the dead, it says that the women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. It is possible when you are feeling anxious to both be anxious and scared and also excited, freaked out, but also happy about it. Those things can and do coexist. And in case you're thinking, I'm just going the New Testament, Old Testament as well. Back at chapter 3. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. In other words, these other terrible things that are going on can and do coexist with joy. You can both honestly label all the things that are going terrible, and at least in Habakkuk 3, there were, I don't know, a lot of them that they listed right here. That is not meaning that you lack faith. I would actually argue that being able to articulate the things that are not going well and label them, call them out for what they are, can be an act of faith and help you to better experience what I think true biblical joy is. It's not a negation of your pain. It's not ignoring your pain, but actually we can still experience it even though we're experiencing these other things. Proverbs 14, verse 13 says this, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. I read that verse. Doesn't that feel so true? (laughs) I can forget about it for just a second, but then it stops and it hurts again. We've talked about here before this idea of the already and not yet kingdom of God. And without diving too much into it, because it's a pretty dense theological concept, the idea is basically that there is a sense in which we already have access to this abundant life that Christ offers us now, this kingdom of God. Uh, But there also is a sense in which we do not yet have full access to it, that we look forward to when Christ returns and makes all things right, that we look forward to, as Revelation says, uh, when there will be, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. We look forward to those things. And I think the same thing is true for joy, that there's a sense in which we already have access to joy now and a sense in which we do not yet have full access to it. Uh, John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes to uh, leave them to be crucified, and they are worried. And Jesus compares what they are going through uh, to pregnancy uh, and saying that while right now you are weeping and sorrowful, uh, one day when the childbirth comes, you will feel this deep sense of joy. And there's a sense in which Advent in the season of waiting is a reminder of that. Uh, that it makes sense for us to feel nauseous, to feel sick in our stomach. It makes sense for us to have back pain. It makes sense for us to not know totally what's going on or to be worried or freaked out or hurting. All of that makes sense. That's the already. But one day we will see in full. 
and we can experience that deep sense of joy. Hebrews 12, one through two talks about it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God that there is a sense in which we do not yet fully have this joy that we are promised. Uh, I, know some of peop- I know some people in here, I'm thinking of one person in particular is like a crazy good distance runner, uh, runs like ridiculous distances. Um, looking at you, Claire. What was it, like 75 miles or something ridiculous? Yeah, uh, me, good luck if I'm running a mile, you know what I mean? Uh, I was gonna say I'm more of a sprinter, but that also probably wouldn't, I used to be more of a sprinter. I'm more just not a runner. (laughs) Endurance, maybe Claire, you would disagree, is not the most fun thing uh, to learn. Is that fair? But one of the ways that you get to endurance is through discipline and through trials. James chapter one says, to count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, depending on your translation, and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That there is a sense in which Right now, it kind of feels like we're on an endurance sort of race that I'm just trying to make it through. But one day, I will see in full this joy that is set before me, this, this Jesus. I will get to encounter him face to face, and I look forward to that day. So let's talk about the already. Uh, where do we experience joy now? Uh, first, it's important to understand when we talk about joy and rejoicing, God rejoices. And God rejoices in his creation. Some of us, I think, have this idea of, uh, maybe I won't read this into you, my younger uh, self and sometimes still my more honest self has a perception of God that basically is like, he is disappointed or just wants me to be miserable. I don't know if y'all felt that before. Uh, even when it comes to concepts of like sin or things and you're like, why would God ask people to do that? Does he just want them to like hate their life and be miserable all the time? That was more my perception of God. But in his presence, there is a fullness of joy. Zephaniah 3.17 says it like this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. As I mentioned that, a story earlier of when Anne and I got, uh, got married. What, what was really kind of transcendent about that uh, is God's presence with us in that moment and just this picture of like, I mean, it was like tunnel vision and I was weeping and I couldn't control it, but that is the slightest glimpse of God's love that he has for those that follow him, of his children. I could show you from Isaiah 65 and then Luke chapter 15 as well, but my point is to say that God enjoys you. God is happy to call you his. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He is for you. He is not against you. We have this false perception that God is just constantly disappointed with us or maybe just ambivalent about us. 
But even that image in Zephaniah that he rejoices over you with gladness, quieting you by his love, is almost this like tender holding of a child type image. That he's happy to call you his because he, he made you. And this leads us to being able to find joy in God. Because, I mean, I mean think about this on a practical note. Have you ever hung out with somebody who, did not, who clearly did not enjoy hanging out with you? Yeah? Okay, I'm glad other people laugh because that makes me feel less alone. <laughs> it's not fun, right? But have you ever hung out with somebody, and maybe even somebody who was like pretty important in your mind, who made you feel really valued and like they were genuinely interested in you and genuinely cared about you and were happy to be around you and had all the time in the world for you? How does that make you feel? What if we approached our relationship with God not like he is upset or annoyed to spend time with us, but actually he is excited to spend this sort of intimate, relational time with us. I think of the image in Luke chapter 15 uh, where the prodigal son returns home and the father rejoices and throws a party. Psalm 16 verse 11 talks about this joy we can find in God. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 43 verse 4, I will go to the altar of God, to God the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. What I want to get at with this is there is a deeper sense of joy that is possible in the relationship with God than there is in anything else. And I think oftentimes when we talk about following after God, at least my perception, uh, growing up was more just like the negative. He wanted me to surrender. What he wanted me to give up. And certainly I think we're called to leave everything and follow after Jesus. But it's not just so we can be miserable. It's actually because he has something deeper and better for us. I want to read to you uh, Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. When everyone else is indulging in all the pleasures, eating to their full, drinking as much as they want, whatever the thing is, there is more joy to be found in the presence of God than any earthly pleasure you can name. And I think for a lot of us, we... If we're honest, we've elevated other earthly pleasures above the pleasure and delight that we can find in the presence of God. And perhaps it's because we've been addicted to all of these other pleasures. And so my hope is that we can recapture that there's more joy to be found in him than anything else the world might offer. So we have joy in God himself. We also can find joy in what God has done is doing and will do, as Psalm 92 verse four says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Proverbs 10, 28, about what he will do, the hopes of godly, of the godly result in happiness, but the expectation of the wicked come to nothing. Here's what it found. I don't know what it's doing. I have that on, do not disturb. Jeremiah uh, 51 as well, uh, talking about what God will do, that he will overthrow evil. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. And that's not just talking about a nation, but uh, the way I see it, more opposing forces opposing the kingdom of God. Uh, her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Uh, that verse is probably not one you would read and be like, yeah, that sounds really, really joyful. Let me reframe it for you. All the evil and wrongdoing that's in the world will one day be done away with. That issue that is deep 
in your soul that you just hate that is going on in the world and you want to dedicate your life to eradicating it. God is in the business of making the wrong things right and he will once and always do away with evil and we rejoice that the evil does not get the last word. We also find joy in God's world and his creation. Uh, Psalm 104 verses 14 through 15 says this, uh, and pay attention to this because this is pretty good. Uh, You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth. Note this, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin and bread to give them strength. God has given us good things to enjoy them and to use them to turn into praise. There's also a passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about this, Ecclesiastes 9 and Ecclesiastes 8. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You'll see it in Psalm 97 verse 1 and other places. Basically this idea that all of creation is declaring the glory of God. And one of the things that I love about Christmas uh, is oftentimes, I, I used to get feel weird that so many people were singing about Jesus at Christmas time who may not actually believe in him. But I've come to actually see that's really wonderful and beautiful that people all around the world, whether they believe in it or not, are singing and declaring the glory of God and singing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come on. That's so good. And so what we do even when we find joy in God's world and his creation is that we are partaking in the song that is already going on and praising God for who he is as all of creation declares the glory of God. We also can find joy in God's word as Psalm 119 verse 162 says, and I'm sorry, I'm just blowing through all of these. I'm just, I'm making my wife's life miserable. Um, Over there. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. We also, contrary to probably what a lot of us have experienced, you can actually find joy in God's people. Uh, I've talked to a number of uh, other people who started churches and church planters who said that, no offense to most of you guys, but they said that they preferred hanging out with people who weren't Christians than people who were Christians uh, because they tended to be kinder and more loving and more accepting and um, not as judgmental. They're actually from the scriptures, if we're following after Jesus and being transformed to look more like Jesus, there is a joy that can be found with God's people. Philippians chapter two, for example, Paul talks about his friend Epaphroditus and says that you'll be glad to see him and tells them to welcome him with great joy. What I'm getting at is it's possible to have joy. Sometimes it's hard to feel joy. As Jeremiah 8:18 says, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. And so we're kind of gonna move towards uh, wrapping up this and moving into the rejoicing part. So joy in some sense is what happens to you. It's a response to kind of what's already going on. Uh, It's also something that you grow in and are given in, in essence by God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit if you're following him, but it also is an action that you take to rejoice. So we rejoice in God, as I've said. We also rejoice in what is good. When we see good things happening in the world, we praise God and we rejoice, as 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love says. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, talks about uh, grieving leading to repentance, and so that leads to a sense of joy, that we rejoice when good things happen. But also with that, uh, we don't rejoice in evil. I was listening to a comedy special this week. I'm not gonna tell you necessarily which comedy special it was because I don't know that I can recommend that. Uh, but 
they were talking about this concept that a lot of us uh, love to rejoice and laugh at other people's falls. And not just like, you know, uh, fail army videos on YouTube or whatever, but like when something really bad happens to someone, part of us like likes to laugh at it. And I'm certainly very guilty of that, probably even, definitely even this week. Proverbs 24 verse 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. In other words, we rejoice in what's good and we do not rejoice in what's evil. We also are to be a people who rejoice with other people. Romans 12 verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. There's a similar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the Romans 12 one about rejoicing, uh, the New Living Translation translates that as be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep, that there is a deep sense in which I think a church, a community of people following Jesus ought to be able to both at the same time, same day, same gathering, weep with people who are weeping and be happy with those people who are happy. Both things ought to be able to coexist. And we, it's good that we're able to talk about both of those things together. We're called to rejoice no matter what. Philippians 2 17 through 18, Paul says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Philippians 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And with that, it, once again, I think sometimes when people use uh, pithy statements uh, like just choose joy, uh, when someone is walking through something really difficult. I don't on the, on the surface disagree with the sentiment of choosing joy and the importance of gratitude and noticing what God is doing in the world, uh, but sometimes the undergirding assumption is that if you choose the joy, then you'll be able to not feel the bad things. But biblical joy actually comes with the even anticipation and expectation that bad things will happen. I encourage you to go back later and read 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. It talks about trials, that you're going through, uh, but looking forward to the joy that is to come. First Peter 4, the same thing. And because of this, we are able to rejoice in suffering, as Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5 says, which says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And then here it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our hope, our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Uh, note there uh, that the joy does not come from like the pain just stopping. The joy can be found in the person of Jesus even in the midst of it. And why can we find joy? We have a joy be because we know that death can't defeat our Savior because it has not. We have joy that God will take what was ashes and turn it into beauty, that he will make life out of death. 
took the cross and made it a symbol of hope. The Psalm 30 verse 5 says that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That is Psalm 126 verse 6 says they weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with their harvest. As Isaiah 35 says that they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And that's again in Isaiah 51. Isaiah 60 that I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. And then Isaiah 61, verse 7, that we read at the beginning. For in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy, and that's instead of shame. We have hope that God will transform what was evil and turn it and use it for something good. That God will take our mourning and turn it into singing. We have confident hope, and in the meantime, we're invited to hold tension. Romans 12, verse 2. And this is the last, verse 12, this is the last scripture I am reading today. I know I've read like a hundred of them. Uh, Romans 12, verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on prank. It's possible to rejoice and uh, have troubles. The word patient comes from a Latin word uh, to meaning to suffer. It's possible to have joy and suffer at the same time. We rejoice because of this promise. And I, and I wanna uh, invite us this Christmas season to not hold these binaries of it always has to be good and not, or it has to be bad. Uh, sometimes the Christmas season brings up a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of frustrations, a lot of anger, but also maybe a lot of delight. It might bring up only good things for you. And if so, that's awesome. Uh, I'm really happy uh, that that's the case for you. Happy uh, for you. It's okay uh, if you feel this range of things. I wanna close with, um, with praying and I'm gonna pray this uh, prayer known as the serenity prayer. So we all bow your heads and pray with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. We pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.